0: with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock, and you are our redeemer, and you are our shepherd. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I am going to encourage you to memorize Psalm 23 over these next weeks. You know, all these fantasy books like Tolkien and Narnia and everything, you know, they always have this moment where, like, the, the kids or, or whoever it is, they get, they're given, like, a flask or a, uh, a sword or something that they're going to need later on on the journey. And then as the story unfolds, there comes this moment where it's like, oh, you know, this is exactly what we need. We need this healing potion that we were given earlier on, Right. And I feel like Psalm 23 is is kind of like that. It's like this, this special gift that God has given to us for the journey, so that when there are those difficult moments, when there are moments where you need direction, we need help, when you when you need the Lord, that you can open up this psalm. And if you memorize it, it will always be with you. It will always be with you. So. So join me in this process over these next weeks, and we're going to say it before every sermon, and and maybe as we do, you'll be able to kind of grow in your ability to to say it just from memory. It's not a long psalm. You can do this. You totally can do this. You know, put it on a a dashboard in your car, you know, put it uh, on the mirror uh, in your bathroom. Uh, Put it wherever you need to put it so you can start to really memorize this. I got to tell you, you know, there are nights when I lay awake. You have those nights because you can't sleep, because your mind's spinning, the world is spinning around you, and there is nothing better to me than to just sit there and recite Psalm 23, and to locate myself in this moment of time within The Whatever rhythm it is that God is doing in my life to reframe it so that I can see it and understand it and know that he's still with me even though maybe everything around me looks different than how I thought it would be. So Psalm 23, let's memorize it. In fact, let's just start now. See how I do. Uh, I can say it to myself when I'm at night, but saying it all in front of you is going to be a little more challenging. So let's see if I can do this. Um, would, you, would you read it? Actually read it out loud with me while, while I say it. Ready? Let's go. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by side still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his same sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You anoint my table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That was great. You didn't have any helps. You just did that from memory, right? Good. Okay. The Lord is closely and deeply involved in your life. The Lord is closely and deeply involved in your life. This is what David is means when he famously says, the Lord is my shepherd. That he is closely and deeply involved in earth. Up to this point in the Psalms, it's, it's an interesting, one of the commentators pointed this out, I hadn't noticed this before, up to this point in the Psalms, God has been referred to as king, and deliverer, and rock, and shield. But it could be argued that even up to this point in all of scripture, never, has God been referred to in it with using a term of such intimacy and closeness as we have here with David saying, the Lord is my shepherd? Now a shepherd was and is in some parts of the world still is intimately involved with the life of the sheep. He lived with the sheep day and night. He leads them through the countryside to the places where uh, they, they could go to graze on plentiful grasses to drink from pristine streams to rest in a safe environment where there aren't beasts threatening their very existence. He, he the shepherd, carried a club and a staff so that he could protect them from those beasts when they did come. The sheep have absolutely absolutely zero defense mechanisms right the what fluffiness like that is their thing you know you all go all the animals going around you know I got these big talons I got these sharp teeth I got these muscles I got this this powerful strength and the sheep is sitting there going I got fluffiness (laughs) fluffiness is not a defense mechanism the sheep has nothing it's completely dependent on the shepherd for safety Uh, Now, look at the shepherd. You go back to 1 Samuel 17. Uh, An interesting moment when when David is is standing before Goliath and he's he's trying to argue that he can fight Goliath. Listen to what he says. He says, David said to Saul, uh, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. He literally pulled it out of his mouth, and if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. That's what a shepherd does. A shepherd protects the sheep from the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion. And then the club and the staff were also used to guide the sheep. So the sheep, the sheep don't, they're so helpless. They don't know where to go to eat or drink. I, I, my mind can't compute with this. Like, how did they exist before shepherds? They don't know where to go. To eat and to drink, they need to be guided, and the shepherd uses his implements to guide them where they need to go. Uh, And then the sheep are rebellious, which again makes absolutely no sense. You can't protect yourself, all you have is fluffiness. You don't know where to go to eat or to drink, and you're gonna wander off? It makes no sense. But sheep do. They find the the holes in the pastures or the the fences and they they wander through. They don't even know where they're going, but they wander. Uh, And and, and when the sheep does wander away and uh, at night, maybe uh, gets out of the pen, um, when the sheep wanders away, then he has to run off. He has to go and find it. The shepherd has to go and find it. In fact, the shepherd, first of all, lays down over the doorway of the sheep pen so that the sheep won't get out and so that the the beasts won't get in. The sheep, the shepherd lays down to protect his sheep. But if a sheep does escape, then the shepherd has to go and find him. And and sheep are so panic-stricken that when he goes to find it, chances are it's completely given up on life and is just sitting there by itself and can't move. And so that's what we have in the Gospels. He picks up the sheep and puts it on his shoulders and carries it all the way home. Why? Because the sheep is frozen in panic. It's got four legs, but the shepherd has to carry it all the way back. Um, what's painfully funny to me about all of this is that you know we like to, we need to think about what is our spirit animal, right? You ever had this conversation? You know, yeah, you're a tiger or a lion or some of you are an eagle in your own mind, and for me, I'm a mongoose, that's what I like, I like the mongoose. Some of you are elephant, you just feel like strong and powerful, and I'm here to tell you that according to scripture, actually, your spirit animal is the sheep. This lowly sheep that has so little to commend itself to us is who we are, it's what, we're sheep. I know that's offensive, But the sooner you grasp that reality, like the better you'll be able to move on to a life of abundance, as we're gonna see. That you need a shepherd. You need a shepherd because you're a sheep. And lastly, sheep are prone to injury and disease. And guess who it falls to, to bind them up and to nurse them along? The shepherd. And he has to do that while he's caring for all the other sheep, right? It's overwhelming, Philip Keller, who wrote a book, and so, okay, so I'm going to encourage you to memorize Psalm 23, and then there's two books I'm going to recommend to you. The first one is by Philip Keller, and um, it is about Psalm 23. And he writes uh, in this book, um, it's a shepherd's look at Psalm 23. He says, sheep require more than any other class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care endless attention and meticulous care and the result of this constant never-ending always you know changing uh, ever urgent care is this simple point that i made at the beginning is that the shepherd becomes very intimate with the sheep the relationship between sheep and shepherd is extremely close perhaps closer than uh, almost any other um, because the sheep is so dependent upon the shepherd, the shepherd smells like sheep. The shepherd knows every one of the sheep. Maybe even has names for them. The sheep are branded with, with his brand. He's potentially purchased them, so he's given out money to be able to have this sheep. It's cost him something, um, and and the sheep know the voice. Again, there's so many things we learn from the New Testament. The sheep know the voice of the shepherd. So it said that you could have have multiple herds together with different shepherds. And when they come to a crossroads where they're going to each go their own way, all the shepherd has to do is call to the sheep. And then the other shepherd calls to his sheep. And they know the voice of the sheep. And they'll automatically separate and go with their shepherd. So there's this this deep intimacy that forms between sheep and shepherd. They know each other. They know each other's voice. And and the shepherd um, even kind of takes a a reputational hit to be a shepherd. We know that the shepherds were viewed within sort of the uh, society as as the lowest of the low. Um, To be a shepherd was to be out in the wilderness all the time. You, You just didn't smell and you hung out with with lowly sheep, right? And so um, the shepherd is very low on the, on the pole in terms of the society. So then we come to this, this amazing psalm and it's so remarkable that David would come along and suddenly make this simple statement, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. When you come to the God of the Bible, you come to a, a God who is wanting and willing to be present with you. That's, that's what that means. And to engage in the kind of meticulous care of you that you need in light of your sheeply nature, the endless attention. So David's message for us, for me, for you today, is, is simply this. The Lord is your shepherd. And and I hesitate to go to this next piece because we, we often say this and, and it, 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 just, it just seems superficial. It doesn't seem like it really connects. But that's all that you need. And we're going to dig into why it feels like sometimes uh, that can sound superficial to us. The Lord is your shepherd and that's all that you need. So I have two questions. Who is your shepherd? I'm going to explore. Yes, you got it. Um, and what does that mean for you? What does it mean for you? Who is your shepherd and what does it mean for you? All right. Um, Who is your shepherd? Philip Keller, again, uh, writes this. He says that the lot in life of any particular sheep depended on the type of man who owned it. And later, uh, he describes uh, a personal experience he had with a bad shepherd and it's interesting in the Old Testament, there is a description of the bad shepherd and it's, it's sort of similar to this as well. But he, he writes this, When all is said and done, the welfare of any flock is entirely dependent upon the management afforded them by their owner. The tenant sheep man on the farm next to my first ranch was the most indifferent manager I'd ever met. He was not concerned about the condition of his sheep. His land was neglected. He gave little or no time to his flock, letting them pretty well forage for themselves as best they could, both summer and winter. They fell prey to dogs, cougars, and wrestlers. A wrestler is somebody who wants to steal sheep. Every year, those, these poor creatures were forced to gnaw away at bare brown fields and impoverished pastures. Every winter, there was a shortage of nourishing hay and wholesome grain to feed the hungry ewes. Shelter to safeguard and protect the suffering sheep from storms and blizzards was scanty and inadequate. They they had only polluted, muddy water to drink. There had been a lack of salt and other trace materials needed to offset their sickly pastures. In their thin, weak, and diseased condition, these poor sheep were a pathetic sight. And he goes on to say, in my mind's eye, I can still see them standing at the fence, huddled, sadly in little knots, staring wistfully through the wires at the rich pastures on the other side. Remember Jesus, when he comes into Jerusalem, he has compassion on them. They're like sheep. The people are like sheep without a shepherd. This is what it looks like to be a sheep without a shepherd, right? Thin and weakly, malnourished, undernourished. Um, in my mind's eye, I can still see them standing at the fence, huddled sadly in little knots, staring wistfully you see the blankness in their eyes, through the wires, at the rich pastures on the other side. To all their distress, their heartless, selfish owner seemed utterly callous and indifferent. He simply did not care. What if his sheep, um, he did not care uh, if his sheep did not want. Green, what if his sheep did want green grass, fresh water, shade, safety or shelter from the storms? What if they did want relief from the wounds, bruises, disease? And parasites. He ignored their needs. He couldn't care less. Why should he? They were just sheep, fit only for the slaughterhouse. He says, I never looked at these poor sheep without an acute awareness that this was a precise picture of those wretched old taskmasters, sin and Satan, on their derelict ranch, scoffing at the plight of those within their power. As I moved among men and women from all strata of society, as both a lay pastor and as a scientist, That's how he comes to this task. I've become increasingly aware of one thing. It is the boss, the manager, the master in people's lives who makes the difference in their destiny. You think of those sheep who have been maltreated, malnourished. They have that blankness in their eyes, standing, hoping, wishing. And doesn't it sort of conjure up images you have of the people that you interact with on a daily basis in your life? people who are spiritually malnourished, who have that blankness in their eyes, who are looking and striving and straining for something greater, but unable to enter into those green pastures, to find those pristine waters, to, to, to gorge themselves on, on, on the pasture that's, that's full and abundant, and to enter into abundant life. We live in a world filled with sheep who are being neglected and who are under the detrimental care of a bad manager, right? So, who is your shepherd? It matters who your shepherd is uh, because this world is filled with all kinds of indifferent managers. The world wants to be your manager in a sense, right? I mean, that's what all advertising and, you know, all, so much of what we experience in this life is about. It's the world trying to be your manager, be your shepherd, to call you in. But it will cost you something. It will cost you something. In contrast, David says this simple statement, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. At least if you would like him to be the Lord is your shepherd now uh, the term that David uses for the Lord we're asking the question who is your shepherd and the answer is the Lord look in your bible there you can see that it's capitalized all when you see the word lord capitalized every letter is capitalized it means that it's translating the hebrew yahweh which is p- probably the highest the most exalted word that we have for god Yahweh, when, when Moses was before the burning bush, that's kind of where it began, the Yahweh, this I am. It means something like I am, um, but it's hard to exactly translate. When the old scribes would be doing the re- rewriting the Old Testament, they would, they would stop and take multiple baths before they would write the word Yahweh because they wanted to honor it. And and hold it close. So this is a powerful term. The Lord is your shepherd. Is my shepherd. Yahweh is your shepherd. The I am is your shepherd. God is by this term. He's the fundamental reality of all that is. He's He's creator. Um, As creator, uh, He precedes all that is. So everything around us is preceded by God. As redeemer, He restores all that is. So all that's broken. And, and not the way that it should be. This is something we obviously are aware of in our world. All of that is being restored by God. He's in the process of restoring all that is broken. So he's redeemer. He is creator. And thirdly, he's sustainer. That's what this means. He's, he upholds all that is. So moment by moment. So he creates. He redeems what's broken. And then he sustains everything moment by moment. The Lord is creator- redeemer and sustainer there's none like him and so if he's all of those things and if he's your shepherd you're in the best possible hands right you're in the best possible hands but that truth oftentimes is struggles to get from our head to our heart right on the daily basis um a fundamental problem we have is that we lose sight of the reality of God as shepherd in the daily walk of life. When we were, one of the things I did over vacation is we went on a family trip together, camping, all six of us. Uh, we went up to Crater Lake and we went up to Mount Rainier, uh, which was just the most amazing park. And um, on one particular day, we were, we were before Mount Rainier and it was a sunny Beautiful day, and it looked like this. This was the picture of Mount Rainier. Um, just looming there before us and glorious. I wish you could see that up close even. It's, it's, a, it's just stunning. There's a whole valley on the right-hand side, and we won't go to the next picture yet, but I'll be, uh, the next picture is taken from that, that on, the, on the edge of that little glacial valley on the right-hand side of Mount Rainier. Um, and it's just, it's just an awesome, awesome, mountain to stand before. So that was the day uh, before our hike. The next day we went on a hike and it was cloudy and it looked like this. So I'm standing on the, I'm standing actually higher up on the mountain, but I can't see the mountain. Can't see almost any of the mountain at all. Uh, All the vegetation, the wildlife, and the landscapes that are there, of which there are many, many, are a result of the mountain. Uh, But we couldn't see it for the clouds. The whole environment is shaped by the mountain. But we couldn't see the mountain. Um, And enough days like that, right, if you had every day like this, week in and week out, you might start to forget about the mountain. Because you can't see it. All you can see is the clouds. All you can see is what's below the clouds. And you forget that actually the reason for that incredible environment, which is so lush and so beautiful. John Muir had incredible things to say about Mount Rainier. It was one of his favorite parks to go to. Uh, and, 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 and all of it is because of the mountain. But, but you, you, the mountain's shrouded in cloud day after day. And, and you forget why it's even there. And we do the same with God. This side is heaven. You could say we're living in, in kind of a perpetually cloudy day. Um, if we're not careful, it's easy to forget that God is there, that the mountain is there, and that the, none of the rest of it would be there except for the mountain of God. None of it would be there. So Dallas Willard wrote a book. This is my second book I commend to you uh, on Psalm 23. And he makes a huge deal about the role of the mind in the spiritual life in this book. Because we cannot see God in the way that we might like. We have to set our minds on the vision of God. We We have to take a good look at the first picture so that when we're living our lives with the second picture, we can... We can hold the first picture, the sunny day picture, in our heads. And we can continue to see the mountain in our mind's eye. He says, uh, we got to stare, essentially, at the photograph of Scripture taken on that sunny day so that it's emblazoned in our brains, across our brains, for the inevitable cloudy day that comes. He says this, The ultimate freedom we have as individuals is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon and think about. By think, we mean all the ways in which we are aware of things, including our memories, our perceptions, and beliefs. The focus of your thoughts significantly affects everything else that happens in your life and evokes the feelings that frame your world and motivate your actions. And he goes on to say later, we have the ability and responsibility to keep God present in our minds and those who do so will make steady progress toward him for he will respond by making himself known to us. You want to enter into abundant life, the rich pastures and the pristine waters, set your mind on the mountain, set your mind on the things of God. And this is going to be a theme that we're going to follow through But right now I want to set it out there to see the mountain even when the clouds are present. We must set our minds on the things of God. That's what it means that the Lord is our shepherd. Uh, Excuse me, that's who is our shepherd. The Lord, the Great One, is our shepherd. And what it means that the Lord is our shepherd uh, is that you shall not want. The result of the fact that the Lord is your shepherd is this. You shall not want. Want is a good translation of the word uh, in Hebrew. You could also use the word lack. You shall have no lack. Um, Dallas Willard in his book on Psalm 23, uh, he calls it life without lack. Life without lack, which is a great way to say it. And there are places in the Bible that seek to stretch us into a spiritual space that seems almost too good to be true. Right? There's places in the Bible that stretch us into a spiritual place that seems almost too good to be true. And this is one of them. Um, can you imagine truly living this verse? I, I think there's a, there can be a bit of an eye roll uh, with some of us when, when we say that uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There can be a little bit of an eye roll because we've seen people pretend that, that that's true when clearly it's not actually true for them. We've seen people say that I have no lack, and we've watched them live a life in which they're clearly pursuing all kinds of worldly things to fulfill the deep longing that's inside of them. In fact, that's true of probably every single one of us. But what if you actually did believe it? What if you actually did believe that it was possible to be separate from want, See, David is is living in some rarefied spiritual air here. And now let's dig into this for a second. If you know anything about David, you know that he was not free from from worldly concerns. He He had all kinds of lack in his life, all kinds of want in his life. Think about his life. He spent time being chased from cave to cave by King Saul. He had to flee his throne and palace and people when his son Absalom chased him out of Uh, the uh, Jerusalem in a coup attempt. So David knows what it's like to be in worldly lack. He dealt with family intrigue and loss and betrayal and sin and the day-to-day struggles of ruling a nation. His worldly suffering and pain are all over the Psalms. Part of the reason that we love the Psalms is because David is telling us about all the ways he is lacking. That he has want. That the way that life is not how he would hoped it would be. That he's facing struggle. Um, His worldly suffering suffering is all... so, So life without lack must mean something different than being freed. Something different than being freed from worldly wants. Cares and problems. It has to mean something different from that. So go back to the mountain. A life without lack then is seeing with the eye of faith, and here's kind of the point, the often invisible but rock solid truth that God is sufficient. It's seeing with the eyes of faith that God is sufficient. Whatever you're being deprived of in a worldly sense and take a moment to think about what that is for you right now. What is it, and Holy Spirit, would you help us to see because this is going to help us move through this psalm as we go through it, would you help us to see what is it that you are experiencing as deprivation right now? What is loss for you? What is lack for you? What is want for you? Whatever you are being deprived of in a worldly sense, the greater truth is that God is enough. That's what this first verse says. The greater truth is God is now. You might doubt that. You might wrestle with it. But it's what you come back to and you seek to live by. Dallas Willard says, one of our greatest needs today is for people to really see and really believe the things they already profess to see and believe. To really see and to really believe the things they already profess to see and to believe. So the world is constantly suggesting that you lack something it can provide. In fact, probably unlike any other time in the history of the world, the suggestions are being made to us that we lack a particular thing that the world can provide to us and for us. Um, We are reachable in all kinds of new ways, and people are manipulating that and using that to suggest to us all different kinds of things that we lack. I was looking for a new cutting board and you know like I just happened to go on this website and search for cutting boards and you know now for like the next five days I'm getting emails saying you know the cutting board you were looking at is now on sale. You know like it's amazing how much the world is drawing on that sense of want and that sense of lack and it makes us susceptible to the world in, in, in ways that can harm us. And, it, you know, like we, we end up going to muddy waters thinking that, that we're going to be fulfilled. And the powerful truth is that the Lord is the only one who will ultimately fulfill. So we've got the world is constantly suggesting we have the sinful heart, which is constantly forming attachments to people and things that will never satisfy, right? It could be, it could be big things like your spouse or your, your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your, or your kids um, or your parents. Attachments are formed there. You're looking for satisfaction in all of those people. Or it could be the smallest thing like a cutting board, Right? that you're finding, you're seeking satisfaction in this thing. The the sinful heart is constantly forming attachments right, left, and center to the things of this world. And the invitation for you today and for me today is to say, like David, no, no. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. To make it personal of, of, of all the things that could be my shepherd, that could shepherd me. The Lord, the creator, the redeemer, the sustainer is my shepherd. He wants to be close. He wants to be present. He's not afraid of his reputation to be near me. He even is not afraid to smell like me. He'll get down in the mud when I'm broken and panicky. He will find me, put me on his shoulders and carry me home. The Lord is my shepherd. Man, that's a freeing place. If we really, really say that and really know that, that is, that is living on a different spiritual plane. That is freedom and joy. That is, that's making yourself impervious to the things of this world. It's, it's getting freed from the attachments that cause you to be depressed because you don't have them and you want them but you can't get them and so now you're freed from that because the Lord is your shepherd and you shall not be in want. My guess is that there are probably things in your life right now that the Lord is is tearing you away from and oh, it hurts, it hurts. Things that you've attached yourself to that you love, that you want, and you're saying to God, why are you doing this? And he's saying to you, he's saying, because I am your shepherd. I am the one who will fulfill your wants. And I, I, I'm blessing you with this thing, but you know what? You're starting to let it use, take the place of me. And that's going to turn into muddy waters for you. And I want to bring you back to pristine and pure waters. And so I I got to tear you away from it. I got to tear you away. Because I love you. Because I love you. And in your best moment, you let go your grip on that thing that you've been clutching onto. And you say, ah, yes. The Lord is my shepherd. So, God, as we are gathered here this morning with you and before you, we know that you are with us as shepherd. And and, and all those images of closeness are really important for our, our hearts and our minds right now. That we would. We would understand, we would see the metaphor in all of its fullness, meaning your willingness to be in our presence, your, your willingness to put your hands on us like a shepherd would with a sheep, to go over the very body, the skin of the, the sheep, to, to dig in deep into the fluffiness and to figure out where there's disease and brokenness and, 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 and to bind up broken uh, limbs and to pursue us in panic. Lord, you are all of those images, all those. All those metaphors are true of you this morning as we are walking through this journey of life and, 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 and many of us looking to, to muddy waters and, and, and barren fields and trying to find fulfillment, trying to find abundance in places where there will never be abundance. And this morning, you're calling us back to yourself. You wanna free us from all of those attachments. And you would say, look, uh, in me, you can be a person of strength and freedom because when you're attached to me, when you, when you know that I will provide for all that you need you can walk in a kind of strength and freedom like you've only dreamed of having and so would you come to me God is saying and would you repeat after my, my son David who said the Lord is my shepherd the Lord is is waiting, waiting for you to turn, to recognize his good, his his roughened hands, because he's been in the dirt, ready to be with you, experiencing the pain and the suffering of this life. He's right there with you. Will you look? Will you see him through the clouds? Will you call out to your shepherd? Will you draw near and see how he wants to draw near to you? That's the invitation this morning. And so, God, we individually and collectively, we say yes to that invitation. Be our shepherd. We embrace it. We accept it. We receive it. And we love it. In Jesus' name, amen.